Welcome back to Two Keto Dudes. This is Carl Franklin from Connecticut. I went keto in 2016 to reverse my diabetes and lose weight. It's my mission to spread the science of keto and to show the world how cooking is necessary for keto success. Oh, and pork belly. <laughs> you and your pork belly. I know. And I'm Carrie Brown, and I also live in Connecticut, just a different part to Carl. I'm a trained pastry chef who went keto to control and eventually eliminate symptoms from bipolar 2 disorder and depression. I take no medications, I have no symptoms, and it's my mission to show the world that keto food is not only delicious, but it can be better than any other kind of food. And this show is a document of our experiences thriving for years in nutritional ketosis. And also our experiences reversing diabetes and depression and feeling better than we ever have before. And hopefully that might help a few people who are curious about this kind of dietary hacking. Oh, hacking, that would be me today. Hack, 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 hack. We don't give medical advice because we're not doctors. Right, we just want to share our experiences and review the research that supports it. Oh, and pork belly. Mmm, pork belly. You know, we share our recipes and any science that we find in the show notes at twoketodudes.com. This is a science-based show with Carl bringing the body science and I'm bringing the food science because cooking, and especially baking, is pure science. So let's start podcast number 160, Ben Bickman Reconciles CICO and Hormonal Models. Firstly, do we have any apologies or corrections from last week's show? Uh, that was Keto Bread with Julie Fox McClure. The only comments we got were, oh, yum. <laughs> <laughs> Julie's liver pate is becoming legendary as it should. Yes. So before we dive into our topic, let's explain in plain English what a ketogenic diet is. Right. It's any diet that puts you into a state of nutritional ketosis where your body is burning fat for energy rather than glucose. And the way we did it was to limit our carbohydrates to 20 grams or less every day, enjoy a moderate amount of protein, one to one and a half grams per kilogram of lean body mass, and all of our energy comes from fat. Fat? Really? Yeah. Fat. Either the fat on your plate or the fat from that Krispy Kreme that you ate a decade ago. <laughs> and if you're just starting, listen to our Starting Keto show at start.2keto.com. So, Carrie, what's up? Welcome home. Well, what's up is that I just got home, literally got home from low-carb Denver last night, mm. and everyone else is going, wait, what? I got home nearly a week ago. What's up with that? Oh, you drove um, Ralph. That's why. And that is because I drive everywhere. Why would I fly if I could drive? Yeah. So, I drove to low-carb Denver, and it was fantastic. I had five little meetups en route from Connecticut to Denver. Rockstar. My favorite thing to do <laughs> is to meet all you lovely people along the way. So there were plenty of coffees and there was keto pizza at this amazing dive bar in St. Charles, Missouri. And Wait, the dive bar served keto pizza? Uh-huh. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. It was uh, super cool. There'll be some pictures coming out in our social media so you can join in the fun that was those meetups as I traveled from Connecticut to Denver. Mm. So the meetups were fantastic. 
I wasn't able to do them on the way back because, as you may hear, I have a frog in my throat and I didn't Ribbit. want to share him with the <laughs> I-70 corridor on the way home. So I came straight home. You know, you can eat the legs, right? You just uh-huh. fry them up in garlic and butter. That's how I would have shared my frog. <laughs> so there were no meetups on the way back, but it was an amazing drive culminating in a 1,000-mile, 17-hour drive from mm. the middle of Illinois yesterday. So yay me. Wow. Yeah, yeah, we were watching on Facebook. You would pull over every once in a while and take a picture and say where you were. It's fun yep. to watch. So, and of course, Low Carb Denver was the absolute highlight of, of everything. Oh. It was so many amazing people. If I, had to, if I had to pick one, of course, it would be Dr. Georgia Ede. I mm. got to have a one-on-one. I got to have drinks with, with uh, Dr. Ede, mm. which was the absolute highlight of my trip. But there were so many amazing people that I had a chance to hang out with Gary Taubes, uh, Ben Bickman, mm-hmm. and Dr. Paul Mason, Dr. Karen Zinn. There was just so, so many people. And then all our favorites, uh, Amber O'Hearn, Peter Ballasted, the Berries, like mm-hmm. the who's who of the, the keto cub world were there. And it was just, it was amazing time, amazing people, yeah. amazing stories, just so much brilliant conversation and science and talks and learnings and food and right. yeah. And I'm still on that high because I just got home, whereas you all have been home nearly a week. Right. Yeah. I'm embroiled in home and work stuff now, but I do remember, you know, it was great, but they didn't have a pig roast. <laughs> they did not have a pig roast. <laughs> I was kind of difficult to do a pig roast in a hotel. But I do want to, Give a shout out to um, Dr. Jeffrey Gerber yes. and Rod Taylor, who put on an absolutely amazing event. Absolutely amazing. And we just found out that we're going to the Low Carb Keto Salt Lake Conference, April 26th and 27th. Yay! And uh, we're going to do a live Two Keto Dudes on stage. I'm so excited for that. I love Salt Lake City. I love Utah. It's one of my favorite states. It's incredibly photographic once you get out there in the wilds. And also, the the universe has spoken because that same weekend is the weekend that my twin goddaughters are having their second birthday party. And they live about three minutes away from where low carb Salt Lake is going to be. Mm. So what happened with you? What did I miss in the world of Carl Franklin while I was driving halfway across America? Well, so many things have happened since the weekend, uh, since I last saw you. Um, As you know, I was staying with the Zorns, Ron and Pam Zorn. No relationship as far as we know to Brenda Zorn, although they're now soul sisters. But Pamela Zorn was the one who did the cheese-making demos at Keto Fest at Thames River Greenery, and she'll be doing them again this year. That was so popular last year. Yeah. So she hosted a a dinner party for us on- Which was fabulous. Saturday night. And it was great because, you know, I got to, to cook and work and watch the live stream on a big TV 
at the same time, which is really the way I love to spend at least one day when we go to these conferences. But I got to give Pam credit, though, because she cooked 99% of everything. I contributed to the bolognese sauce and I made pasta. Other than that, she made she made a lot of your dishes, Carrie. She did. Um, she did an absolutely amazing job of feeding an indeterminate number of people. She And it turned out perfectly. The amount of food versus the number of people that showed up, and yeah. it was just—it was just a wonderful, wonderful event. And I'm incredibly grateful for her for all her work and and her kitchen brilliance in pulling that all together. So my favorite recipe of yours that she made was something she called keto wheat thins, which are essentially almond flour crackers, but they're crispy and they have that taste. Yes, those are actually a recipe that I developed for uh, Keto for the Holidays cookbook. That was the one of the dip transporters that yeah. was in that cookbook because you, you need dip transporters at, at, at <laughs> holiday times. So that was just a setup for what happened on Monday. So I actually spent Monday, uh, I had a, a, a evening flight, like a 7.30 flight. And so I spent Monday cooking with Pam in her home. How fun. Yeah. And we made keto lasagna with my noodle recipe. Woohoo! Let me tell you something. That not only was the best keto lasagna I've ever had, it was the best lasagna, period, I've ever had in my life. That's saying something. Oh, yeah. I mean, first of all, she's a master with sauces and layers of flavor. So, you know, we had um, mushrooms and onions and uh, th that kind of thing on one layer. We had ricotta. We had mozzarella. We had jack cheese. Yes, I ate cheese. I know. But, you know, I did pay for it. My numbers went up. Even more evidence that I'm really sensitive to cheese. But I really wanted to, to try this lasagna because it's going in my noodles cookbook. So, so talking about that. And I'm not sure I remember who, but I'm sure Dr. Ken Berry was involved. We had a discussion about how soft cheeses seem to affect people a lot more or a lot worse than hard cheeses. Yes. So that might be something once you've come off, you might be able to find you can introduce back the hard cheeses, but not the soft cheeses. But the noodles are, are something that I stumbled on. And uh, a couple of friends helped me sort of iron out some of the weirdness of it and came up with this perfect recipe for noodles that uh, you make as a crepe. And they're stretchy, they're rubbery, they're beautiful texture, they taste like egg noodles. And then you slice them into whatever shape you want with a pizza wheel. It's the best way we've found. You can roll them up and use the pizza wheel or a knife to cut them, but we found that that gives it sometimes jaggies jagged edges. So the pizza wheel seems to be the, the way to go. Plus, who doesn't like rustic noodles? Exactly. The Keto Fest Kickstarter is live and kicking, and um, we, it, we had a slowdown over the next couple of days, so I'm hoping that anyone who came to Keto Fest or has pictures of Keto Fest or wants to come to Keto Fest puts those pictures on social media and gets the word out. April 2nd is our deadline. If we don't make it, we, we have to make alternate plans. We don't know what we're going to do if we don't make our deadline. So um, get people to ketofest.com any way you can. And I think the timing, because the Keto Fest 
Kickstarter was a few days late coming because of new rules with Kickstarter. And there's this whole review process that we, the Kickstarter was actually a week late. And by that time, we were all on the road to low carb Denver. Right. And so we weren't out there promoting the Kickstarter because, well, I was driving across America and <laughs> Carl was cooking up a storm for an inordinate number of people in Denver. Mm. But now we're back. We're really going to make sure that everybody who would want to come to Keto Fest has the opportunity to do so. Okay, let's give away a Two Keto Dudes coffee mug to one lucky member of the Two Keto Dudes fan club. And Carrie, of course, the new mugs have your mug on them, not Richard's. So anyone who has a mug has a collector's item. Maybe we should put a mug with all three of our mugs on it. That'd be cool. Well, actually, Richard, at any opportunity... Uh, at low carb Denver made sure people knew that he was no longer a two keto dude. So, right. Even though he's going to be in the next three interviews that we publish. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So who's this week's winner, Carl? This week's winner is Kristen Augustine. Yay, Kristen. Congratulations. I hope you get as many giggles out of drinking out of a mug with my mug on it as I do. Absolutely. And if you don't want to wait to win a coffee mug, you can get one online for yourself at gear.2keto.com. All right, then, uh, Carrie, is today the day? No, definitely not. Oh, well, you know, we, we can let you off the hook because of your voice. Yes, I'm not sure that my voice could actually do that today. How about you just say, male, just say that. Male. Excellent. I could do something with that. Like this. No. No. <laughs> All right, enough silliness. This is from the great big public keto before and after thread, which you can find at success.2keto.com. There's 734 posts in this thread where we ask people to post their before and after pictures and their, their data. If you're looking for some real inspiration or you know a friend who needs to get motivated, this is a great way to do that. So this is from Jenny BC. And she posted a picture of herself. And it says, back in my morbid obesity days, I never posed for any pictures. My teen son had a birthday the other day, so I was on the old PC looking at birthdays past and found this picture of me cutting cake at his second birthday party. She says, I'm pretty sure that wasn't even my heaviest. I think that was about 25, 30 pounds shy of where I was at my heaviest. I'm 37 there, but I look so much older. And then the next picture she's taking in a mirror, she's like a beanpole, right? I mean, she looks fit. She looks healthy. She doesn't even look like the same person. It's amazing the transformations, literally the transformations that that occur when people do this. Yeah. She says, and here I am exactly 15 years later at 52 and looking considerably younger, just 14 more pounds to goal. I am estimating about 90 pounds between those photos and keto has been responsible for the last 40. And she looks amazing now. She doesn't even look like the same person. Well done, Jenny BC. Yes, well done. Uh, Interestingly, I had... um, a friend of mine, I, I happened to see a friend of mine on Facebook complaining about 
you know, uh, being overweight and having all these complications and asthma and all the stuff that goes along with metabolic syndrome. And I private messaged her, and I I know that she was would, you know, not take offense because we're friends. And I said, hey, have you looked into the ketogenic diet? It seems to be the cure-all for the diseases of civilization. And she says, yes, actually looking into that was going to buy a meal plan, but it's so expensive. And I said, oh, you know, you don't need a meal plan. Just come over for dinner. I'll, we'll do this. And she says, I don't like meat. And I said, that's fine. There's plenty of ways to do it without meat. In fact, my good friend Michelle Shannon doesn't eat mammals. So she, she eats chicken and eggs and fish, but, but not, um, not mammals. So uh, she's going to come over. Um, in a couple of weeks for dinner, and we're going to try to work something out. Changing lives again, Mr. Franklin. Yeah, and, and I just encourage people to do the same with their friends. I know I know it, it's a hard line to walk of being pushy and wanting to help somebody. But, you know, if you just stick to what you did and what you know from the research and some resources – just say, you know, I really think that this is attainable for you. Uh, if it was attainable for me, carb addict extraordinaire, you know, 3 a.m. Burger King rider, <laughs> you can do it too. All right, so now we're going to play an interview that the four of us did. That's me, Carrie, Richard Morris. Yay, Richard! Yay, and Ben Bickman at... Low Carb Denver last week. And Dr. Bickman was talking about how you can reconcile the calories in, calories out model and the hormonal model. Both are valid. They're not mutually exclusive. Welcome to Two Keto Dudes, Ben Bickman. Thank you, guys. I'm delighted to be here. Thanks so much. Yeah. Um, I wanted to get all four of us together in the same room because the, the opportunity for you, yeah, Richard, biochem interest. Richard's here as well. So. Yay! <laughs> Yeah. The prodigal son. Yeah, returned. <laughs> Where's my fatted calf? Seriously. <laughs> <laughs> that was last night. Yeah, that's true. Oh, it, it was. was. Boy, oh boy, it was Oh, it. my God. So, Ben, it was a, a great presentation that you gave, uh, basically um, giving, us the, giving us back our metabolic advantage. Yeah, right. Yeah, so it, can, you, can you explain a little bit about that? Yeah, it was, it was me following up on the talk that first brought me into the low-carb space in the first place, or the community space. Mm. I've long been an insulin scientist, and uh, because of that, I've more and more appreciated ketones, which are in a way insulin's opposite, but that's not quite accurate. But um, yeah, the general findings that I presented were looking at the differential effects, or I touched on these differential effects of insulin and ketones. And again, this mm. is touching back to the talk I gave two years ago, but essentially within fat cells, especially the subcutaneous fat cells, right. so the fat cells the that we all fat. have. Yep, that's right. It is good fat. It's healthier fat. It's the fat just beneath the surface of the skin. That fat has the potential to um, act in a, a very differently with regards to how its mitochondria or the energy part of the cell is working. So in normal white fat cells, they are um, all about energy storage. Yeah, they don't want to use energy. They want That's to store right. the stuff. They want to just hold on to it. And insulin enables that process very, very well. So mm. one bit of data I showed was from a study we published last year where insulin um, actually makes the mitochondria be more what we call 
more coupled. In other words, it's only using energy that it needs to use to basically perform all its functions. Mm. However, when the fat cell is exposed to ketones, there is now what's called uncoupling. We've split apart the only use energy when you need it, and now it's using more energy than it needs. And because it's using more than it needs, there's no, um, I, there, there's no sort of designated purpose for it. It ends up being wasted as heat. Right. And that's a, a heat is a, res, a result of any chemical reactions. That, mm-hmm. that is why we are warm-blooded, because all of our reactions are eliciting sufficient heat. But it is a sign of inefficiency, um, despite the fact that it ends up being beneficial for us. So we have somebody fat that actually is made a design to make heat, right? That's right. Yep. So we all have a little bit of what's called brown fat. Mm-hmm. And it's typically, in humans, it is located at various little spots around the sternum, up in the clavicles. Around your collarbone. Yeah. Yep, collarbone. that's right. And that, that could be, if we were to wonder why the system is designed that way, you think about uh, over the, the, over the um, life of a human, we have a lot of brown fat when we're babies, okay. which is why babies don't shiver when they're cold. <laughs> I've done these experiments with my little babies. When They'll give them a little bath, and I'll bring them out of the bath, mm. and they don't shiver. Mm. Not at all. But I notice as they get a little older, a little older, they start to say, I'm cold, right. and they'll shiver. Yeah. And so the rest of the body, from the neck down, we have sufficient skeletal muscle that when we're cold, it will twitch and shiver, and yeah. that spasming creates enough heat to warm the body. But there is no shivering at the head, of hmm. course, right? There's no muscle here to shiver. And so maybe the fact that the brown fat is surrounding the carotid arteries, right. it's, it's a way it's of warming basically the blood warming on the, way. the blood on the yeah. way up to the brain. Wow. That could be it. Right. I mean, that's my own theory. Well, yeah. that's obviously, an op- from an observational point of view, that that's what's happening. Yeah, right. right. Yeah, I mean, whether that explains why it's there or not, it certainly is a good reason to have it there. Yeah. So, nevertheless, yeah, all humans have some brown fat. This, this, and it is, it is in fact dark brown because it has so much mitochondria in it. Yeah. It's this reddish brown. So would you call it more metabolically active? Oh, than very white? much, very much. So, in is fact, is that what you meant by decoupling? Because you know, I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm, no, no, no. Uh, let's, I mean, let's make sure that it's really, really understandable. Um, yeah, so so it has a very high metabolic rate, mm. almost to the same degree of skeletal muscle. Brown fat does. Wow. Um, so, but in the case of skeletal muscle, skeletal muscle has a high metabolic rate just because it it's by its very nature is a very active, busy tissue. Right. And it in fact is pretty well coupled. So muscle is pretty as I say miserly with its energy. It'll only use what it needs to use. But the brown fat is not miserly at all. It's it. just wasting energy to create heat. But nevertheless, it I ends see. up having a comparable metabolic rate to skeletal muscle. It ends up being quite close. But compare that to white adipose tissue, white fat, it's a tenth or a, almost a fiftieth the, the metabolic rate as skeletal muscle and, and brown fat. But then what is cool, of course, is that when the, when the white fat, subcutaneous fat, is exposed to ketones, mm. it can act more like brown fat. It starts to forget what it once was and kind of starts acting a little. So, and we call that beige because it does get a little darker, but not brown. Right. So does it mean that, um, and obviously if it's exposed to ketones, that means insulin is low. Exactly. And we know that insulin is the key to either fat storage or fat loss. That's right. You know, fat, you know. Yes. Yeah, exactly. And that's much of what I touched on two years ago, looking at the two prevailing theories of obesity. One, it's strictly a matter of calories in, calories out. So the caloric theory. And then second, 
uh, it is strictly a matter of hormones, insulin in particular. Let's just call it what it is. But that's the endocrine theory. And what I, based on everything that we just talked about, what I had hoped to convey, and I think I did it two years ago, and I'm just touching on it again this year, is that the endocrine theory actually encompasses the caloric theory. Right. Because if you are maintaining a state of, let's say, low insulin and thus high ketones, you are creating a state where the body is more wasteful with energy in general, not only in the form of activating these uncoupled reactions to waste energy as heat, but also to physically excrete ketones from the body. Mm. You know, the fact that we can detect ketones on the breath and in the urine, mm. we need to remember that that is evidence. A, a ketone is a small little piece of a fat molecule. Yeah. And now the person is literally just emitting them from the body. That's right. energy that would need to be otherwise accounted for. Yeah, that's carbon that do doesn't get to make it to CO2. Exactly. It, that's it, right. That yeah. is carbon that doesn't spilled. get burned mm. uh, You know, in the fires of metabolism. It so, just gets dumped. Yeah. So another way to say being wasteful is losing weight. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. yeah, well, that's what I mean. Yeah, but yeah. it's funny, though, because as we're talking about this kind of mitochondrial or energetic efficiency versus inefficiency, I will never forget, I'm listening to the radio, and um, in the midst of these, someone I interrupting my kind of 80s synth rock. <laughs> we all play that channel. Yeah. <laughs> but they come on with this advertisement for low T, you know, or low testosterone. Are mm -hmm. you low T? You need right. to take this testosterone booster and make your mitochondria more efficient. And lose weight. And of course, I hear that and think, yeah. these hacks. Yeah. You don't want to make your mitochondria and your fat cells more efficient. No. You want them less efficient yeah. in order to be wasting energy a little more readily. Yeah. And that's the perfect situation for a hypercaloric kind of environment we live in. Let's let the fat cells be a little more wasteful with what they've got too much of. And it ends up creating... But, and again, to, to make it relevant to my talk yesterday, the muscle cells become a little... Uh, the, the fat cells, rather, become less efficient and yeah. more uncoupled, mm -hmm. but the muscle cells become, they maintain perfect efficiency, or if we want to call it perfect, they maintain a very tightly coupled mitochondrial state in the presence of ketones. And so that was much of what I was conveying, is that ketones are creating a, a, what I would consider a genuine metabolic advantage. It's a differential effect between That's the, right, between yeah. The... And so there's clearly a different... Mitochondria are not just mitochondria. Mm -hmm. And we still need to find out why. It could be that within muscle cells versus fat cells, the mitochondria have different expression of G-protein-coupled receptors, mm -hmm. which are ketone-sensitive. Yep. It could be that there's differential expression of MCT. And when I say that, I actually don't mean medium-chain triglycerides. Monocarboxylate transports. Monocarboxylate yes. transporters, which transport the ketone in. It could be that it's... So we don't yet know the actual biochemical mechanism to explain why the mitochondria in one tissue are behaving so differently in response to ketones in a different tissue. Is it an instantaneous response or is it adaptive? Oh, that's a great question. We see this response in fat cells treated with ketones over just hours. Wow. So that's pretty so it's not a, it's not adaptive. Well, well mm -hmm. right, yeah. right. It's, it's right now, the, the degree custody, to which that yeah. could happen in humans, but we don't have a, a time course mm. in humans. But mm. that'd be pretty easy to do. Mm. You know, if we could get a group of human volunteers, they come in standard American fed, mm. American Western diet, we'll say, um, to be fair to any Aussies listening to this standard <laughs> yeah, yeah. Australian diet. So we'll just say it's Western the same thing. It's the same thing. It is the yeah. same the thing. I know. So calling it standard American doesn't work anymore. Um, so the, the, a Western diet, uh, and then have them at day zero get a biopsy, a fat mm, biopsy, sure. measure uncoupling, and then start tracking them. Come in you know, once a week. 
How does one measure uncoupling in a fat cell? Yeah, yeah. So when we get a fat biopsy from a human, we numb the area by the belly, uh, make a small incision, and pull out a small piece of fat through something through an, uh, a big kind of needle, high gauge needle. Um, then we take that fat tissue, split it up into the pieces we need. But one piece will be finely diced and then put into what's called a respirometer. Hey, this isn't the recipe section. I'm yeah. just saying. Yeah. yeah, then we saute it. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, so, so we put it into the respirometer, and that simply is a machine that detects changes in oxygen. Okay. So when I was presenting the data yesterday, and when someone watches this talk on YouTube, they'll, have, they'll see me referring to oxygen consumption, because that represents how busy the mitochondria are. Got it. Because everything the mitochondria do will involve using oxygen. Mm. Um, and then, in a different... Uh, set of tissue, we will measure ATP production. That's not something we can measure in that same tissue. So that's output. Yeah, yeah, that's right. That's yeah. so the productivity. So what I, in my analogy, that's kind of with the engine. It's the actual. That's the actual movement of the car. The engine driving the car. So you can literally just put it in an oxygen-rich environment, and it will absorb the oxygen, and then mm -hmm. measure the ATP. Yeah, well, output. and then separately we measure the separately. ATP. Yeah, in a different um, assay, looking okay. at the degree to which it'll fluoresce with different dyes. So you're that's basically just measuring input and output. That's that's exactly right. Yeah, I mean, so super simple, yeah. right? And we can measure uncoupling based on, is the input not matched to the output? That's essentially it. Awesome. And in muscle cells, it stays matched. What's going in mm. is matched with what we're looking out, coming out as a product. Calories in, fat, calories out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I'm just saying that though. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I know, I um, know. But nevertheless, uh, but in the fat cell, the it's not it's mismatched or yeah. uncoupled. So yeah. is it, is this a proton leak from the inner mitochondria, the intra membrane yeah. space in the yeah, mitochondria? Yeah. So so of course uh, to get specific, and Richard wants to do this because you're <laughs> up to your eyeballs. In this. I, I, I love this. <laughs> I live cool. for this. Oh yeah, me too. I love it. So um, strictly speaking. When we've uncoupled something, it's because the electron transport system, mm -hmm. which those is, are those four complexes that are pumping protons up into the intermembrane space while they're shuttling an electron across the length of the membrane. Yes. That is pump, the proton pumping out is coupled to the protons coming back in through ATP synthesis. Right. That, and that's called oxidative phosphorylation. Mm -hmm. So the, when, at, at its core, talking about coupled or uncoupled, that's coupling electron transport system to oxidative phosphorylation. And that's what's uncoupled. Now, the uncoupling protein actually essentially allows an avenue for the protons to come back in to the mitochondrial matrix. Without, but not making ATP. Without going through the ATP synthesis mm. machinery, the ATP yeah. synthase. Huh. So it creates another avenue that essentially as quickly as the protons are getting pumped out, mm -hmm. they can flow right back in. And that has created a futile cycle, yeah. which the body... Biology abhors a futile cycle because it wastes energy, right. but that's what's happening. All we're coming through, we're feeding it NADH and FADH, which is a product of normal catabolism, mm -hmm. beta oxidation, for example, of fats. Mm -hmm. and, and in the end, we're just getting a lot of heat. Right. But we've gotten really specific. Yeah. Um, but what the, what the what listeners... The layperson yeah, needs to take For the layperson, all the layperson really needs to remember is that Ketones are enabling the mitochondria to chew through fat and glucose at a higher rate and just create heat from it. Yeah. So this fundamentally wasteful process, because normally you only want to break down nutrient energy if you need to get some kind of work done, right. like flex the muscles or uh, help maintain the neuron um, impulse. But in this case, it's just wasting energy. And again, I submit that's a pretty clever 
response to the environment that we live in. So my own experience, and maybe our listeners have this experience, maybe you, do, you guys do too, is if you're, you're going to fast and not eat and you, you go to bed that night, mm-hmm. you're pretty cold. Mm-hmm. Like you, I oh, find I'm yeah. cold, yeah. but if I eat a really good, you know, fat, rich, low carb dinner, I'm like, uh, by by the three o'clock in the morning, I have to take the sheets off. Now. Yeah. So I'm what a f- I think. Furnace. Yeah. So I've heard this before. Um, what I suspect happens when people are cold through fasting is that it's due to the relative reduction in insulin. And insulin is a potent vasodilator. Mm. So if we were to infuse insulin into some into one limb, the femoral artery and in the right leg. Just let me define vasodilator. It means yeah. veins uh, expand. That's right. Get blood bigger. vessels get expand. Yeah. And of course, as blood vessels expand, blood flow expands. Yeah. And so if we were infusing insulin in only to one limb and not the other limb, we could detect this increased blood flow into one limb. Okay. And so as someone's fasting and insulin's coming down, mm. I, I wonder whether part of that is this sort of systemic or throughout the body vasoconstriction. Vasoconstriction, And yeah. then that means all the warm blood in the core is kind of staying in the core and it's mm. moving more slowly through the limbs failing to keep the limbs warmer and then the person would feel that as cold. And then mm. in contrast, if you've eaten something, um, I don't know how, um, I don't know the time course with this kind of acute uh, ketone induced uncoupling mm. and the degree to which it actually would change whole body temperature. Mm. I don't know. Maybe part of it would depend on the amount of fat mass someone has. If right. it's more fat mass, it's warmer right. potentially. Um, but it also could have to do with just cholecystokinin and mm-hmm. other fat-sensitive gut-derived hormones that may have some kind of influence on body temperature. Like, for example, we know prostaglandin, um, prostaglandins will increase body temperature. I actually mm. don't know the mechanism. It could be some uncoupling. When someone's actually experiencing a fever, mm. that's prostaglandin-mediated. There could be other molecules like cholecystokinin, a gut-derived hormone that goes up from eating fat, that's Mm. also doing the same kind of thing more acutely and more potently than maybe the ketones would do at the mitochondria. Right, because it's kind of a dichotomy in my mind. If if your ketones are high, your brown fat would be more active and therefore keeping you warmer. But maybe it's a a balance, you know, it's an offset because we know we're going to get cold from one of these mechanisms. That's why we have to activate the brown fat. Yeah, and fasting is a bit of a... Um, an unknown or black a black box in a way because to me at least um, because if someone is starving, mm. why would they want to be wasting energy in their fat cells? I mean and that's a pretty it, hard in heat adapt exactly and yes exactly yes yeah. wasting energy as heat through increased uncoupling that would be a wonderful way to die faster yep. to starve faster. Mm-hmm. So in the context of a ketogenic diet. That makes sense, yeah. the whole phenomenon I've described. But in the context of just pure evolutionary adaptation, why would the system be designed to waste energy and starvation? It wouldn't. But what I suspect must be considered is the um, agonistic hormones that antagonistic hormones that come into play with starvation. For example, um, cortisol yes. climbs through starvation. Human and, growth hormone. Yes. And, and so this is going to be these hormones that are going to probably resist the uncoupling of the ketones. I can't state that conclusively, but especially cortisol. Mm. Um, uh, I suspect there are these starvation-released hormones that are going to mitigate 
if not completely stop that process. So that would be one interesting experiment would be to to temporarily starve somebody, mm-hmm. get their body into a state where the, 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 the body is conserving of energy yeah, and then rerun the experiment and test yes. the experiment with ketones. Yeah, that's right. In fact, we may be even able to do that at just the level of fat cells. Mm. Dump yeah. the ketones on and yeah. then co-treat some fat cells with dexamethasone. Yeah. But it's a bit of a mixed bag because actually to make fat cells in, in culture, in vitro, you actually have to use uh, a cortisol analog (laughs) so i think we can take it out for a time Mm. and then we would just put it back in and see if it blunts the effect so how does all of this amazing science if people are listening how do they translate that into an action to help them in everyday life yeah so that that actually i was just talking with someone yesterday about my talk and in how just purely academic it was (laughs) And, and, and indeed i don't have any there's no practical action item after hearing my talk, it's Except simply eat keto. Well, right? yeah, but but it's, but for the people that are eating keto, to me the takeaway is evidence that people already know, which is this allows you to not have to count your calories, to be as liberal with the food as you want, mm. because you in fact do have a genuine advantage in the form of a higher metabolic rate. So this could be why someone can find that they can adopt a ketogenic diet and by simply restricting carbohydrates and being as liberal calorically as they want to with their fat and protein, they find that they don't have to count calories. They could be eating hundreds of more calories a day. Mm -hmm. And yet, if, if if they're determined to track that kind of stuff, which is just tedious to the point of miserable. But nevertheless, if someone were, this, I believe, allows someone to reconcile what they see with uh, in in their practice in their life that I'm eating more than ever before and I'm losing weight, and and reconcile that with the laws of thermodynamics, right? Which which their which their physician or their mm-hmm. friend or their loved one might insist on. They say this is impossible. You have to be in caloric balance, and they would simply say, "Well, I am. I'm just burning more than most." And people. I'm wasting more, which yeah. I didn't talk about this time, but did two years ago. We have to appreciate that there's this subtle ketones have a caloric value. And, and when someone's breathing them out and urinating them out, it truly is, or, or just wasting energy is heat. We have this heat production and this increased heat production and increased ketone wasting that creates uh, mechanisms to allow us to reconcile the laws of thermodynamics yeah. in a situation that many would consider impossible. I'm simply saying uh, it is not impossible, and here's why it's happening. Not only is it not impossible, but it makes perfect sense according to the laws of thermodynamics. That's right, and it really helps us reconcile the human data that are already out there. Yeah, the Kevin Hall paper, and, and he, despite him being very antagonistic towards the insulin carbohydrate model, well, he falsified it several he, times. He <laughs> has his data. One, when I saw his paper published last year, I was thrilled. Mm. As much as it upset some people, I looked at how they found that when people were in ketosis in this exquisitely controlled environment, their energy expenditure was significantly, albeit slightly, higher. Mm. And and to me, that was perfect justification for this ketone-induced mitochondrial uncoupling scenario. It was, it's been nice to see that explained um, in, in the data out there already. We're simply providing some of the biochemistry. So the takeaway for someone, there's no action item. It's just <laughs> knowledge. It's me being nothing but a professor <laughs> and just giving knowledge. Uh, but, but I believe there is a relevance to that 
when people have conversations with others that are going to want to invoke the laws of thermodynamics, a person can agree with that and nod their heads and say, yep, totally agree. We need to account for the energy. We just need to account for it in clever ways that are irrelevant to the person eating the typical Western diet. They don't have those. Well, thank you very much, Professor Blackman. This has been my pleasure. Absolute. It's been my pleasure as well. Yeah. This is great. Thanks, guys. You bet. And I have to say that I was mesmerized during the time we spent with Dr. Bickman, absolutely mesmerized. He has, he knows so much. He has such a kind, gentle way of teaching. I can just imagine how much his students, because he teaches at BYU in Salt Lake, how much they enjoy going and learning from him, just his whole demeanor, everything about him, but absolutely fabulous interview. I enjoyed meeting Dr. Bickman so, so much. Yes, as did I. And it was due. We we had wanted to have him on the show a long time ago and just never followed through. So glad to have that. All right, Carrie, I think it's time for you to lay on us a, uh, what do you call those things? Oh, yeah. Recipes! Could you save your due for a little? I do have a recipe, although I must admit today's is, it's more of an assembly, and some people might even say that's not really a recipe. So let me tell you that this has been the gateway drug for a lot of people to start using my other recipes. This has been very, very, very popular. And it's actually a recipe for chocolate milk. What? Because, uh, right? So a lot of people think that when they come keto, that one of their maybe childhood favorite things is off the table now. Mm. And so whether this is a favorite childhood drink for you or a favorite adult cooler in the summer mm. or whether your kids love it and it and it's something that's maybe stopping them from joining the keto train with you right then here's it's good to know that you can totally have chocolate milk okay so it's very simple and I'm going to tell you how to make one glass and then I'm going to tell you how to make a chocolate syrup that you can keep in the fridge so that you can have chocolate milk anytime you like without going through all the effort. All right. So just to make one or two glasses, so a small amount, you're going to want two tablespoons of raw unsweetened cocoa powder. So with cocoa powder, it's super important that you check the ingredients to make sure the only thing in there is cocoa because a lot of the Cocoa powders that you find in the grocery store actually have sugar in them. So just make sure it's raw, unsweetened cocoa powder. Does Hershey's cocoa powder have sugar in it? You know, I've Hershey's is not a brand that I have ever used. So I don't want to say yes or no in case I'm one. And you call yourself an American. I, I, I should probably <laughs> keep quiet about my thoughts about Hershey's right now. Oh, okay. So there are other reasons you don't like Hershey. I used to recount the time that I had my first Hershey's kiss long before keto or low carb. I had American friends 
over in London and they gave me a Hershey's kiss and that thing stayed in my mouth for approximately two seconds before it went in the garbage. So, so my, my world was completely altered by that two seconds of, of Hershey's kiss that I had in my mouth. And I don't think I've ever really recovered. Okay. You just didn't like it. It tasted bitter. What was it? Well, it was, it, it was like brown wax. Oh. Was, and I don't know. That was a long time ago. So maybe the Hershey's formulation is is different now. There's mm. been a, a general, even since I've lived in the States, there's been a, a marked upgrade in how chocolate tastes here. Okay. So I'm talking about Hershey's from, you know, centuries ah, I ago. See. Okay. So um, Ghirardelli is another one I know that's out there. Do you know if that has sugar in it? The Ghirardelli do do an unsweetened cocoa powder. I'm pretty sure from memory it actually says unsweetened on the packet. So it's okay. always good just to check. All right. Fair enough. So you're going to want two tablespoons of your raw unsweetened cocoa. You're going to want a tablespoon of whatever your favorite sweetener is. Xylitol, erythritol, allulose is becoming my new favorite. Then you're going to want a quarter of a cup of boiling water. And then one and a half cups or 12 fluid ounces of your choice of nut milk. So almond, coconut, hemp, hazelnut, whatever. Okay. Now you're going to put the cocoa powder and your sweetener in a glass. You're going to get your quarter of a cup of boiling water and you're going to pour that into the cocoa mixture and stir very well you're going to have a and the reason the water is boiling is you're going to have a real problem trying to make a smooth paste out of water and cocoa powder yeah but the boiling makes it all better yeah this is a really important point if you're going to use cocoa powder in ice cream bases or anything like that it really has to to heat up if you're going to uh you know in water or in liquid before you add it into a mix or it's going to turn into chalky, chalky, chalk, chalk. So you're going to mix your boiling water and your cocoa powder and sweetener. And it does take a while. So you are going to have to stir it. Just keep stirring for a minute until it's smooth. Hmm. Once that cocoa syrup is smooth, pour in ice cold nut milk of your choice and stir well. And you will be delighted with this blast from your childhood and your children are also going to be super happy and you're going to be super happy that you can give them something that you know is not uh, putting them squarely on the path to diabetes or other health complications right so if you want to make a jar of the chocolate syrup so you can make instant chocolate milk whenever you or your child requires it you're going to put one cup of raw unsweetened cocoa powder with half a cup of your sweetener, your xylitol, your erythritol, your allulose. And obviously you can adjust that to taste Mm -hmm. with two cups of boiling water. So the way I suggest you do this is you put the cocoa powder and the sweetener in a mason jar, and then you add your two cups of boiling water and you just put the lid on and shake it very well but be very Mm. careful because when you do that with something hot there's a lot of steam Mm -hmm. so just be careful about doing that or you can simply put the hot water in and stir it really really well until 
the cocoa powder is completely dissolved and the syrup is mm. smooth. Nice. Once the syrup has cooled, cover it and store it in the fridge. Then when you fancy a glass of chocolate milk, you take a third of a cup of the chocolate syrup and one and a half cups of the nut milk of your choice and mix them together for every glass. Uh, sounds great. I don't usually eat nut milk or drink nut milk. First of all, nuts don't have nipples. Let's just put it out there. So it's kind of like nut juice, isn't it? Right. Very good. It sounds delicious. And, and again, you know, this is a great way to introduce your kids to, uh, to keto and say, yeah, this is the stuff mommy and daddy drink. So one other little tip is if you want or need more fat or prefer a super creamy chocolate milk, you can replace a quarter of a cup of the nut milk with heavy cream. Mm -hmm. Also, if you like your chocolate milk a little bit thicker, you can, once you've made it, you can put it in a blender and tap a quarter of a teaspoon of guar gum through the lid of the blender while it's running on low speed, blend mm. for 30 seconds and enjoy. And you'll get that kind of, not thick, but it'll be that body that some chocolate milk has. Right. Awesome. Well, that's another Two Keto Dudes show. So if you have anything you want to tell us, something we said wrong, something that you don't agree with, some more research that you found to support or refute anything we've said today, send it by email to dudes at twoketodudes.com. And you can follow us on Twitter, Twitch, Facebook, YouTube, and Instagram at Two Keto Dudes. Make sure you use the hashtag Two Keto Dudes. And of course, if you want to join the free ketogenic forum, it's forum.twoketo.com. And you can have a look around the ketogenic forum without needing to create an account by starting with success. Also, check out our Facebook group, The Keto Kitchen, if Facebook is your thing. And if you feel like supporting our forums and all the podcasts we produce, please consider making a monthly pledge on our Patreon page at patreon.2keto.com. If you pledge $20 or more per month, you will have access to an exclusive Facebook group, Two Keto Dudes Gold. And you can also see all of our podcasts and other videos on YouTube at youtube.2keto.com. And if you haven't already, please go leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. That's how new people get to know about what we do. Two Keto Dudes is brought to you by Two Keto LLC, who strives to support the low-carb community with podcasts and other publications. Hey, Carrie, keep calm and keto on. Keep calm and keto on, Carl. All right, I will, and we'll see you next time on Two, Two Keto, keto Dudes. Dudes.